Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 61. This week, our feature review is our 2015 Tabletop Badness. Also, Drew will be shouting from the tabletop, and Daniel will be analyzing the Dweamer. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. Welcome to the episode. We're so glad to have you join us here this week. Anthony has a big announcement for a big podcast. Take it away, Anthony. All right. So... We have been inspired, inspired by a certain event of which we shall not describe the name because of legally distinct obligations on our part. Is it Voldemort? Voldemort. <laughs> you just said it. <laughs> Damn it. Well, this is the last podcast we'll send before the Death Eaters come and get us. Wait, wait maybe it's Fight Club. Oh, Damn it. <laughs> Chris, you're terrible at this. You're out of the fight club. Ah, oh, no! Now you're out of the fight club. This is why I didn't tell Chris about the feature. <laughs> oh, it's March. It's sports. It's a certain kind of craziness. There's a round object that you bounce and toss through a hoop-like device, right? Hoop-like device. Quidditch, right? <laughs> it's Quidditch. I knew it was Quidditch. We're doing a Quidditch episode. It's our awesome. Harry Potter special. <laughs> so if you've been to the blog in the last couple of days, you have seen the first couple posts for this. It is our Tabletop Madness 2015, legally distinct. <laughs> We're going to be running through 68 of the best board games ever made, according to Board Game Geek and some of our listeners. And we're going to see who comes out on top. And we're going to be doing that for the next three weeks including the last week when we did our first uh, couple rounds on the blog. So today we're going to be going through round, I guess it's three now, because I've got that kind of lame first round with four games now. But Do they even call that a full round? They it's do. Like it's super round. confusing. Yeah. Round one and two, and then round three is the round of 32. The, it's the prequel. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, it used to be the play-in game, and now it's round one. But anyways... <laughs> That's on the blog. You don't have to listen to us talk about the games at the bottom of the heap. We're going to talk about. <laughs> we're going to dive right into the top thirty-two today. That's our feature. There were some good ones that lost out in the first round, but we're not going to tell you about them. Got to read it because they were all on the top one hundred or listener submissions. So you may want to check those out. Exactly. Yeah, we'll go through the rules a little bit later, but we're going to be doing uh, kind of a quick run through through all of them and uh, see who comes out on top. All right. With that said, hey Drew, you know what? I think it's time for you to be doing something? Shouting something real loud from on top of something? Are we allowed to say this here? Yes, you're allowed. I trademarked it. It's fine. Shout it from the tabletops! (laughs) Sir, you're going to need to get down from there. Yes, I got some some, some really surprised news. You guys wouldn't believe, but there is a movie studio that wants to make a movie based on a board game. Catan again? No. Ouija again. This is actually one that Battleship that again. You don't hear that much of. No. It starts with D U. It's not Dune. No, I thought you guys would guess Aww, Dune. Dune. No. Why does this episode have so many things we can't name? It's dust. 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 Not. Um, 
it's not well-known game. It's a cool game because it's based on an alternate reality. Um, what if World War II used steampunk weapons, and what if it never ended? This game was actually developed by a um, an Italian graphic designer, illustrator. So the game was beautiful, well done, and he created a graphic novel based on the board game, also called Dust, um, about the steampunk warfare going on, uh, where it's Russia on one side and... No, Russia slash China on one side, the Allies on the other, and then the Germans and, I guess, Japanese on, on the third side. And uh, a movie studio, Lionsgate, optioned the, I guess they optioned the graphic novel as well as the board game. So they want to make a movie. They've already gotten a, a, a director attached to the project, the same man who directed Dodgeball. So that really Woo! fills me with confidence. I'm looking forward to this. Some pedigree right there. <laughs> is Vince Vaughn going to be the main character in this? or is... <laughs> When is Hollywood going to figure this out? If you're going to pick up board games that have zero plot and try to make a movie out of them, why? And then you pick up a game that actually has a plot. Pick one that people actually know. Yeah. Is this game even in print anymore? Um, I think it still is, again, because uh, the designer, Paolo Parente, um, created a, a graphic novel to go with it. Uh, I mean, okay. it's, it's got a little bit of a following. The problem with this is that it's miniatures. Yeah. So there's so much competition for the miniature dollar and the miniature table that while this has some outstanding miniatures and mechanics, it still gets left behind by the bigger games out there right now. Yeah. Publisher news, Mayfair. It's, it's an odd bit of news. This, this one too, it seems like all the news this week is odd. Um, Designer Martin Wallace, who we played a number of games, he, he does a lot of transportation games, Steam and Automobile, and now he's doing ships. Uh, he did the Discworld games that uh, we played. Mm-hmm. Um, he's done a lot of games for Mayfair. But just recently, Mayfair came out with a, uh, a release saying uh, we're parting ways with Martin Wallace. We, uh, we loved having him with us, and goodbye. And this sort of took people by surprise, including Martin Wallace. He <laughs> didn't really know what was... Uh, <laughs> What was behind all that, but um, the, uh, the the news site ICV2 did a little digging, found out that um, there was a dispute uh, over the new game Ships that Wallace is designing. There are two versions. There's the, the limited edition version that Wallace is releasing through his company, TreeFrog, and then Mayfair has the, the standard street version. Big companies, they take their time. They do it whenever they want, whereas... Wallace took in money, you know, I guess he raised it on uh, crowd, through crowdfunding, and he wants to release it to people already paid their money. He doesn't want to make them wait like the big companies do. And so this was the, the basically the dispute, and that's it. Well, this is the inevitable conflict as designers are able to more and more just send their products out to fans and not have to go through companies any longer. So with Kickstarter and Indiegogo and a lot of those crowdfunding sites, why even go to a publisher anymore? If you can fulfill the orders, send it directly out. We saw this a lot, a lot with uh, Philip DeBerry's games coming out, not going through your kind of big publishers, kind of going through small companies and fulfillment agencies and getting out straight to the fans. So we might see this more as companies get bigger, individual designers might just go off on their own. So that's unusual, but that's not going to steal his voice. He's going to keep creating games, and that's cool. Um, one other thing, since we brought up Kickstarter, uh, there were some stats released about Kickstarter 2014. All the numbers from last year. Not surprisingly, the number of Kickstarter projects, tabletop games that came through Kickstarter increased by 40%. Wow. 
but the total dollars raised for all of those projects actually dropped. Really? 6% from 2013. I'm... Okay, when did Exploding Kittens end? <laughs> I'm going to call it shenanigans. 2015. Say. Okay, That's okay. 2015. So, so 2015 is going to be a great year for tabletop games on Kickstarter. Well, here, here's the thing. They're, they made the point that the dollars per project actually dropped 40% because of that. Since you mentioned uh, Exploding Kittens, this makes me think that there's going to be fewer projects that get funded and more projects, fewer projects will get all the money and the other projects will just get ignored. Um, because the number of projects last year that were funded actually were in a minority, as opposed to 2013 when the majority of projects funded. Well, I can tell you from doing a year of kicking the habit, there is a lot of bad games. There's a lot of bad projects. They're small, they're tiny, they pop up for like two weeks or three weeks, and then they disappear. So I'm sure that's cutting into the numbers. Everybody trying to do a Cards Against Humanity version or trying to throw up an RPG tabletop version or something like that. So the big companies, the big games, the popular games are still making tons of money. It just happens to be every, you know, mom, pop, dick, and Harry is throwing a game out there and trying to make a couple of bucks and not making anything at all. Because I know I kicked a lot of those to the curb this past year. Yeah. It's um, the signal to noise ratio is getting worse. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, like any market, it'll contract again eventually once people, they don't put their money there. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't cost anybody anything to put on a Kickstarter only if it funds. So, yeah. you know, if you have some random game or a game that you're ripping off from somebody else, you run the campaign, you find out, and you close it. And honestly, most of these campaigns that fail, they, they put them back up on the market again, and they fail again, and they put them back. I mean, there's some designers quote-unquote designers who've had the same game or same projects or similar projects up five, six, seven times. Counts of Dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we already all are seeing some sort of consolidation, right? It's not a consolidation of the field, but it is a consolidation of who gets the money. And already we're seeing sort of firms of people who can successfully launch Kickstarter games. Sure. And as soon as they put a game up, it's, it's funded. Yes. And then nobody else funds. Right, like this is these That's sort of, you know, Stonemeyer games is going to fund. Yes, they put a game up, it's funded. Well, maybe right. we're getting savvier too. Um, we're able to pick out the gold from the dross and just ignore the yeah the ones that aren't worthy of uh, being funded. Yeah, and these design companies, right, the ones that are production companies rather that have been very successful on Kickstarter, have learned how to run a Kickstarter specifically as a way of launching a game. Right, they are not amateurs here. So where everyone else is. Trying sort of their first rodeo, right? These people are riding mm. in with six playtest videos, you know, reviews from podcasters like us, right? Uh, you know, lots of support already in the fan base. They've let people play it. The product is refined. They are bringing a complete product to you and saying, hey, if you want it, start buying now. Sure, yeah. Then we can make it, right? Their issue is they need help producing, not making Whereas a lot of these other games are bringing incomplete products and saying, yeah, this is kind of an idea I have. We need your money to finish the <laughs> finish it. Right. Yeah. Well, it's they still raised $53.5 million last year. And as you said, Exploding Kittens, they've already hit nine, almost $9 million with theirs. So the money may go up, but the number of failures may also go up, too. We'll keep an eye on that and see. I mean, all that money is going to Exploding Kittens, and it's not going to other games. <laughs> Going yeah. to other projects. So those are our uh, top three most interesting items from the past week. And uh, I will get off my tabletop now. 
so uh, this week we're going to be continuing Analyze the Dweamer. I know we said it was going to be like a weekly segment and then it didn't do that thing that we said it was going to do. But it's going to start doing that thing that we said it's going to do again. Yay! So it's, it's back. So this is uh, our second Analyze the Dweamer. Uh, I was going to talk about Paladin today, but then exciting news. Uh, today they released the, well, today as we record, it'll be a few days ago when you listen to this, uh, they released the Player's Companion for the Elemental Evil campaigns. Now, this Player's Companion is a free downloadable PDF which has some new races and spells in it to sort of expand your your playing options in the wider world of the Elemental Evil campaigns. Uh, So it gives us four new races, the Arakokra, which are these sort of avian species. They're bird people. They can fly. They're extremely short-lived, become adults at three years and die at 30 kind of thing. Is that that uh, crazy-looking eagle on the cover? That crazy-looking eagle on the cover, I'm going to assume, is a rock of some kind. Oh, I'm not sure. crazy-looking. This is that that guy right there. He kind of looks like uh, Commander Tasha from Magic of the Gathering, but uh, Magic of the Gathering, either. Um, Magic of the Gathering. <laughs> um, there's the Sferfneblin, or Deep Gnomes. This is a book full of hard-to-pronounce names. Okay. The Aracocra and the Sferfneblin. Like <laughs> yeah, I gotta get it right. I gotta, I've got a reputation to pull. And the Deep Gnomes uh, live in the Underdark, though like, uh, unlike the other Underdark creatures, right, the Drow and the Dark Dwarves, the uh, Dogger? Anyway. Uh, unlike their fellow Underdark dwellers, they are not evil, which makes them kind of in a bad place because everything else that lives down there is evil and wants to eat them so you know rough life it's a hard knock life for us it's a subclass or sub race rather of an existing race and it's one they promised they would do in the player's handbook uh there's the genasi which are they've got four subtypes which are these sort of half elemental humans so you can be half wind elemental earth elemental fire elemental or water elemental and you gain powers based on what elemental you are related to and then there are goliaths who are related to giants and as one might imagine very very large uh, then there's some new spells, which expands your casting options, which is nice because the original player's handbook is kind of narrow in some ways, especially because it gives you some new cantrips, so that really opens up what you can do with those zero-level spells that you get to cast all the time. That's cool. Uh, I would highly suggest you take a look at this. I mean, obviously, this is probably not going to fit in every campaign, right? There's going to be some campaigns that's just going to be kind of awkward to be like, oh, and there are bird people. But... It gives you some interesting opportunities, and it gives you some new spells with an interesting elementalist twist that will help you cover up for some of the gaps in the original player handbook spell list. I think it is awesome. I would call it a buy, but it's free, so, you know, it's a click on the link where they're going to let you download it for free thing. So it's a read. It's a read. It's a get. It's like 20 pages. Get it, read it, look it over. Tell us what you think about it. This is a great thing, right? I mean, it's high production value. The artwork is great. The creatures are great. Some good detail here. And it's free? Yeah. And they've, they've really expanded the option. And they gave us, what, it was like 40 playtesters here, too, right? Wow. This is not phoned in. Mm-hmm. If, if D&D keeps going this way, I mean, I've already voiced my opinion that D&D 5th Edition is the best role-playing game on the market right now. Uh, I think it beats everybody without breaking a sweat. Uh, as does the uh, Golden Geek Awards, right, which yes. they just cleaned up at. Uh, they also agree with me. So, you know, just saying I called it. I called it ahead of time. I wonder <laughs> if we're going to look back at this and say that this is the definitive D&D version. Yeah, I mean, you never know because you know, everyone always thinks they've got the definitive D&D, right? First it was first, and then it was AD&D, then it was second, then it was third, and three, five, and 
uh, and so on and so forth. But this one is really a huge step up. I mean, especially with the relative lack of success they had with fourth edition, where people started pushing back against it, saying, no, this isn't D&D. They have not encountered that with fifth edition so far as I'm aware. It seems like with some of the earlier editions, they swang the pendulum way too far one way or the other. This seems to be really in a nice sweet spot, making it easy enough for new gamers to kind of jump in, but yet hardcore players can enjoy the complexity. Yeah, and they also allow a lot of flexibility in play styles, which is nice, right? You want to be a role player, be a role player. You want to be, you know, make your own world, make your own world. They do what a good system should do, which is give you a lot of options for what you can do if you want to. But it doesn't really constrict your choice too much, right? It doesn't say, oh, this is how you have to play. So it's a nice addition. It'll, it'll, it'll do until the 6th edition comes along and it's fully integrated with a series of apps. You know, that's no, you know, the, the new wave. That's the future of gaming. I like this. This 5th edition, I think, is going to really rank up, if not be the top. I think they, it's the perfect synthesis of everything that they, they could have possibly done well in the past in one little box. I mean, if nothing else, it shows that they're now paying attention to their fan base in a way that they never have in the past, right? They've done multiple surveys, huge amount of playtesting. Yeah, this, this edition's built to last. So, yeah, take a look at the uh, Player's Companion to the Elemental Evil stuff. It's on D&D's website. Download it, read through it, and uh, make use of what they give you there. It's a lot of fun stuff. Awesome. Going to take a look. Now on to our feature. Right, it is time for 2015 Tabletop Madness Round 2.5 to 3. <laughs> we didn't make the rules on that. The revenge. <laughs> the revengeance. <laughs> Strikes back. All right, so here's how this is going to work. Before we dive into it, let's kind of get some ground rules on Tabletop Madness 2015, exactly what we're doing here. The revenge. The revenge. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So what we did is... First off, obviously we wanted to do a tournament that involved a bracket of some sort. It's going to have 68 games because that's the random number that they're giving us these days. It used to be 64. I don't know why we can't be 64. It's a nice round number, it whatever. It came up out of nowhere. We're not, we didn't get that from anyone else. It just sort of was there. Yeah, right? just, yeah it manifests. Yeah. And brackets are fun. Brackets are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Brackets for everything. That's Brackets awesome. all around. <laughs> uh, so we, we kind of went back and forth a little bit about what would be the best way to do this and how to build out a bracket. And in the end, what we decided was we're going to use the Board Game Geek Top 100. And we went through and did a survey of ourselves and which games at least two of us had played. And then that list was about 45, 50 games. And then we kind of put a call to the community out there. And a lot of you submitted additional games that you wanted to see on the list that were not in that top 50 or so. So we have a lot of games in the top 100, probably, you know, at least two-thirds to three-quarters of the games in these 68 are from the top 100. And everything else is from, you know, no more than like the top 400, top 500 and these are games that were submitted to us. I then seeded all the games based on their board game geek ranking, even if it was beyond the top 100. And then we dropped into a bracket creator, and boom, we've got our brackets. You can head over to our website, boardgamersanonymous.com, and see the full bracket, including the four play-in games from round one. Those are just the breakdown of 
everything that was submitted, every game that we took in. There's a write-up there of kind of how it broke down and how we did the voting, what the results were, how we broke the ties. Dice were involved. The only way to do it. There are four of us, so breaking ties was a necessity. Um, out of the initial uh, 32 matchups, 34 matches, matchups, I'm sorry, I think there were eight or nine ties, so we had to roll a lot of dice. And there were some upsets. There are some beloved games you will not see today. Yes, there we did have to skip a couple just because uh, that's the way the votes went, or that's how the dice rolled, as Daniel lamented. <laughs> Only in one case, I got most of my wishes actually, <laughs> as I often lamented. Dominion is gone. Oh, I did. Agricola is gone. Wow. Agricola can be gone though, because Caverna is still in there representing. Uh, you can't. Before, have... It would have been nice to see Caverna go head to head against Agricola. It would win though. Like that's not. Yes, even it would win. <laughs> that's that's not even close. That's like right. I would like to see Michael Jordan dunk on a high schooler, but that's just. <laughs> <laughs> A Quirkle is a very good game. It is. Apparently it's a high school game, though. No, it's a very good game. It's like one of the best games of all time. But Caverna is the better version of the same game. Save it. Save it. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. We can't have comparisons that aren't even on the bracket getting us up. not like Drew brought that up. (laughs) Let me say before we get started, there's been a lot of talk about this, a lot of press coverage. This is for entertainment purposes only. Please, no betting on the brackets. We know that you want to. We know there's a lot of gold kind of going around here. Please, this is just for entertainment value. <laughs> Our entertainment. With the value. full disclaimer out of the way, I should go call somebody <laughs> and cancel, cancel it. Yeah, something. <laughs> That's not just betting. That's like inside betting. You're one of the voters, dude. I, hey, you know, it is winning. It's metagaming. You know. That's true. I, I'm going to cancel it. I was, I was wondering why you voted for Cyclades. I was like, that's not right. It's well, something's you, wrong. Well, the odds against it were huge. He's going to make a lot of money off that. Uh, <laughs> all right. So we have four regions left in the brackets. There are four matchups in each of those, and they are broken down. By theme to some degree. There's Euro games, Amerithrash, Amerithime, whatever you want to call it, Americlash, Amerithrash, card and dice games, and then family friendly slash entry level games. Gateway uh, games. Gateway, Gateway games, exactly. Yes. So they kind of broke down this way once we had the 68. I broke them down. Um, I think we only had to look for a couple more nominations to fill it out, but it was actually kind of interesting to see that when we broke down all the games we played across all these different genres, these were the four that kind of stood out, and you know, we ended up with about 16 games in each of those. Today's episode, and again, if you want to see rounds one and two, how those were voted out, and the reason we did this on the blog is so that you didn't have to listen to us go through 34 matchups one at a time, because that would have been super boring, is they're all on the blog there. Today we're going to do the round of 32 to get us down to 16, and then next week you can tune in and we're going to run through the uh, not-so-sweet 16 and the... Sometimes elitish eights. Well, excellent eights. Excellent eight. Yeah, mine aren't funny at all. I didn't practice. Uh, we'll run through those to prep ourselves for the final four games. That, the, fin- the finishing four. The finishing four games. The Fab that, Four? Fab Four, yeah. There you go. And for that, we're going to have you guys vote. So make sure to listen because for the next two weeks, you're going to hear all of these different matchups and where we're at and, you know, the different arguments for each game. And then you're going to get to choose, you know, in those final three matchups who the best game out of Tabletop Madness 2015 will be. 
So that's our three-week cycle. That's what we're going to be working on. Today, though, we're going to get started with the round of 32. All right, so the first region, the first matchup of the day is from our Euro bracket, and that's going to be the number one seed, the top-ranked Euro game on BoardGameGeek, and that's Terra Mystica versus a podcast favorite, Suburbia. Go. Well, I'll talk up from Suburbia. Outstanding game, one of our favorites. It's tile placement. It's purchasing tiles from a market. The tiles affect each other based upon how they're placed, but they also affect other people's suburbia. It has an expansion, which is not really the part of this discussion here, but there's more and more that's growing to this game. It's fun. It's simple. The graphic design is really nice. If you want a solid Euro game that has the economic engine that you could ever ask for and a marketplace where you're bidding against each other, it's got to be Suburbia. Uh, I'm going to have to go to the other side of that one. Uh, I think Terra Mystica is one of the best modern Euros made to date. Uh, I know the expansion adds a ton of new races to the game. There's constant options here. Out of the base set alone, you're getting more than a dozen different ways to play the game, and every race is a little asymmetrical. Uh, The setup's different. You have different maps. You have new mechanics in the expansion. But even without that expansion, the base game has so much to it that really just kind of builds out um, this epic experience that uh, most Euro games can't match. See, I'm, I'm actually going to have to swing back for somewhat similar reasons. I'm going to have to vote for Suburbia, which is that with all that stuff built in, I feel like Terra Mystica is, compared to Suburbia, almost a little sluggish. I really like the way Suburbia plays. It's very efficient and very clean. It does what it's going to do, and then it, it gets out, right? gets the job done, and it's done. And it's fun. It's clean. It's a great playing game, and that means a lot to me, that sort of experience, especially from right off the bat. And I just, you know, maybe it was just my experience playing through it, but I really had a great time my first time playing Suburbia and no problem picking it up at all. So Suburbia for me. I'm going to throw a monkey wrench into this and go with Terra Mystica. Um, I've always been a big fan of Small World, loved it all the time, and Terra Mystica gives me the same feeling. I know it's a different game, but it's the same feel for me, only more strategy, more sophisticated, um, and if it's possible, even better, um, a better look to it. It just, I love map games. With, with races and terrains and look you stole my... your pieces from Catan. we all know that you did it <laughs> terra mystica you can't hide it and one of the great strengths about terra mystica is the asymmetrical gameplay so you do get a race that's a lot of fun that each of the races play differently but at the same time once you get that race you're locked into that way that race yeah, plays yeah. which is not great because you're playing a very long game with one race the difference here Small world, you get to swap out the races so you're not stuck to one type of strategy. I mean, at this point, the vote has been cast. What remains is for the die to be cast. How do we tie break that? Should I go get a die? Yeah, yeah. All right. a die. let's do it. <laughs> so what I have in front of me is a comically large six-sided die that I use for very important roles as a DM. Now, what I'm going to do is roll this die. If the number that comes up is odd, Then the first entrant, Terra Mystica, wins. If it's even, Suburbia wins. Yeah, I know this is super random and has nothing to do with the merits of the game, but, you know, whatever. It's madness! It's just like a girl. And we rolled a four, which is even, and so our winner is Suburbia. Woohoo! On to the next round. If you're going to be anything, be Suburbia. (laughs) (laughs) But we had such a good season! (laughs) All right, so the next matchup, and this is actually an interesting one because we had a bit of an upset in the first round where Lewis and Clark came in with a 13 seed, and it beat out 
Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. All right, and that one actually won in a die roll as well. And that's going to be up against Power Grid, our number five seed in the Eurogame bracket. We're not going to need a die for this one. Power Grid all the way. I just love it. And it's a map game. I love map games. It's hard to debate these two games. They're both outstanding games. They're top picks for Euro games. It's such a hard thing. I'm probably, it's going to kill me, but I'm going to give an edge to Lewis and Clark just because I love picking up those explorers, adding them to my own deck, and building a unique type of kind of hand tableau in my own deck. And the theme is really rich in this game. So it, it has its problems, but Lewis and Clark has some outstanding mechanics going on. Now, we all know I had some problems with Lewis and Clark the first time I played it, partially because we bungled the rules and a lot of stuff. And I have come to terms with terms of those problems and can now say I think Lewis and Clark is a fine game. It is fun. It is good when you play well. I do still think Sacagawea is the slightest bit. Right, right, right. Daniel, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, okay, okay, okay. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Unbalanced. But uh, <laughs> I will not be taking the forms to defend myself. Um, but I'm going to have to give it to Power Grid here. Power Grid is just an excellent game, and to me, one of the definitive Euros. It, it absolutely uh, demarcates the genre for me, so I'm going to have to go with Power Grid. All right. Uh, Lewis and Clark is one of my favorite games from 2014. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Even though we messed up the rules the first couple plays, I still enjoyed those plays. And since then, I've gone on to like it even more. The solo variant's actually very good, so I've played it a couple times since then in that mode. But Power Grid is one of my favorite games in a lot of ways. I own all the maps. I have the deluxe version. Uh, anybody who's willing to play that game with me, I will pull it out. So I have to go with Power Grid on this. But for this was a really tough one for me. Um, but Power Grid is its just too good of a game, and it really epitomizes what a Euro is and should be. Sounds like they're going to be a favorite going into their match next week with Suburbia. All right, our next matchup is our number two seed in the Euro bracket, and that is Caverna versus a classic worker placement game, Stone Age, uh, the 10 seed. And Stone Age had a bit of an upset in the first round. It took out Lords of Waterdeep, another very popular uh, worker placement game, and again, it beat it on the die roll. So it was a very, very close vote on that one. Uh, this time around, though, it's up against Caverna. Let's see if it can handle the juggernaut. No. <laughs> no, it can't. Um, I actually love Stone Age. Uh, we, we got to play it with our good friend Dave, and it was a really fun time. I love Stone Age. Caverna wins. Caverna is absolutely fantastic. It's everything Agricola wishes it could be when it grows up. Actually, Agricola is probably more grown up than Caverna. It's kind of like <laughs> Caverna is like the boring accountant version of, of or sorry, Agricola is like the boring accounting version of Caverna. Anyway, Caverna, Caverna by a landslide. Well, it's like Louis Rosenberg um, listened to all the people who played Agricola and loved it and kept all the good stuff, and he listened to all the people who tried learning Agricola and couldn't because it was too complicated with cards. He listened to both sides and created a version of Agricola that appeals to both strategic players and relatively new people. Um, it, I think it's balanced that way and it's Caverna all the way for me. I really enjoyed playing Stone Age. I was surprised by the game, especially being able to build a deck of final goal cards that you'll be able to not only gain the resources when you purchase the cards, but at the end of the game, be able to score additional points with the game. It's interesting. It's fun. It's a great entry level worker placement game for so many reasons 
but Caverna just has more. And I think that's just what it comes down to, that there's just so many more things to do, so many more options, so many more paths to victory, so many great components. It's got to be Caverna. Yeah, I can't argue with you guys. I mean, this is a... This is unanimous. Uh, Caverna is one of the best games ever made. It's one of the few games when I bought it, and there are a few games on my shelf when I bought it that it's got a really happy feeling. We're like, oh, look at this amazing game. It's so heavy. Uh, this was one of them. Um, and it's it's a fantastic... My son makes me take it out just to look at the components. I mean, any game that pulls that off, <laughs> it's, sure. it's, got, it's got a good thing going for it. So Caverna all the way. All right, so next up we have... A bit of an upset from round one, Alien Frontiers, which beat out Agricola, which... Why? <laughs> let's be fair to Agricola. It was probably going up against Caverna, even though it wasn't. Uh, it, it beat out Agricola on the die roll, and it's going up against Castles of Burgundy, which uh, beat out number 11, Goa, in the first round. So we have number 14, Alien Frontiers, versus number 6, the Castles of Burgundy. Now, if you're talking Euro games you got to be talking about Feld. And one of the greatest Feld games is the Castles of Burgundy. Being able to build a tableau of tiles that you're purchasing from a market, being able to have dice play a part in a Euro game and still being a Euro game is such an outstanding feature. It plays smooth. It plays fun. The component quality is a little low, but if you're looking for what I feel is almost a quintessential euro game as we talk about like these german games it's got to be the castles um no <laughs> you mentioned dice uh, how could how could it compete with alien frontiers on that uh, in, in that regard alien frontiers was the first great dice placement game that i played and i fell in love with the mechanic kingsburg <laughs> well excuse I, me <laughs> alien frontiers was first for me it was my first you'll always remember um, <laughs> fell in love with the mechanic and it, it's a strong application of that mechanic because the game ebbs and flows. It changes. Um, you place your dice, you gain a strong position at some point, but it changes so quickly um, throughout the game. So it keeps you on your toes and Alien Frontiers for me. All right. Uh, for me, I, I'll be honest with you. Alien Frontiers never really struck me the way it has other people. And it's funny because the types of mechanics that are in that game, I feel like I should like. I like Kingsburg. I like worker placement games. I like a lot of the mechanics there. Just, uh, this game doesn't really strike me the right way. Um, Castles of Burgundy on the other end is just this sublime little game that's just so much fun and the replayability is strong and it's just so compact and easy to pull out and easy to, well, it's not easy to teach. It's a, it's a feld. They're never yeah. easy to teach. Um, <laughs> But once you pick it up, it is it is very intuitive, and the mm -hmm. use of dice there is very interesting. So, got to go with Castles of Burgundy. It's the only Feld on the list, so I got to give it to the Feld. So, uh, I got nothing else to add except for let's go to the die. Oh, 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 oh now yeah. for Alien Frontiers. <laughs> so, uh, I think you know the case, the case is made. All right, it's it's a great game. I mean, these are both great games. Everything on this list is a great game, but I'm going to have to go with Alien Frontiers, which means two Euro games with dice rolling going to the dice, dice roll. Yeah, yeah. appropriate. Odd number. It's Alien Frontiers. Even it's Castle of Burgundy. It's a one. It goes to Alien Frontiers. Damn it. Oh, and I they can... upset the number 14 seed, Alien Frontiers, will be going up against Caverna. Oh. <laughs> Poor Alien Frontiers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
we know how that's ending. <laughs> All right. So that is our Euro game bracket for this week. Uh, tune in next week. We'll have Suburbia versus Power Grid and Caverna versus Alien Frontiers. But next up, we're going to jump to the Amerith. What are we even calling this? Ameritrash? Amerith- American. <laughs> I call it Americlash. Americlash. Ameritheme works. Ameritive work. Just let's not call it garbage. All right. I'm, I'm, all right. <laughs> this sort of theme generally has, is all about clashing. Head to head. Yeah, Americlash. I think Americlash. it captures what it's actually yeah. about as opposed to just saying, oh, all these games are crap. Right? It's yeah. a more substantive and appropriate title. All right. Americlash games. And uh, we have a few interesting matchups here. This was another bracket where we had a lot of ties, a lot of die rolls, and some potentially very interesting matchups, depending on how we vote today. Uh, but first up, we're going to start with number one, Twilight Struggle. This is the number one game, period, on Board Game Geek. Uh, and it beat out in the first round number 16, Yggdrasil. I say that right. Uh, and it's going to be going up against number nine, Rune Wars. And Rune Wars in the first round beat out a Game of Thrones, the board game. So that was a very interesting matchup. That I'll, I'll take up the mantle for um, Twilight Struggle because um, it, it's overrated on Board Game Geek. It shouldn't be number one. But there are enough people who are passionate about that game. And for good reason. It, it pretty much started a whole genre of, of strategic and war games. And it's it's still the best because it fascinates people. It draws people in. Anyone that knows current events, anyone that studied 20th century history, um, it's very riveting. It, it's not easy to learn. You really need to, to play with someone who's played it before. Um, but it rewards patient play, and uh, it is replayable, too. So let me tell you about history, Drew. Let me tell you about the Terranoff universe. Being able to play as one of four different unique factions with unique special abilities, units. We're talking miniatures. We're talking about modular board setup. We're talking about mountains. We're talking about heroes. We're talking about picking runes up. So it's risk, but it's not risk because it's not about wiping everybody out. But it's be about collecting all the runes. Outstanding quality of a game. It plays long, but when you're playing it, you're enjoying each and every moment of it. It's an outstanding game, and it's the true Ameritrash theme. Now, I've got basketball on the mind for reasons which are not admissible in any court of law. Why basketball? Uh, I don't know, right? It's, it's just for some reason. Uh, and when I think about Twilight Struggle, I think about... The Bulls, back when Michael Jordan was on the team. I think of the 95 Bulls, maybe. Totally undefeatable. They are number one, absolutely. And come on, it's Ameritrash. America's not even in Rune Wars, man. (laughs) So I think it's got to go to Twilight Struggle. It it is the number one board game geek game, not just because it's been voted there. I sincerely think it is now cemented there, like as a metaphysical fact. That can never be changed. Uh, and it, you know, it earned its position. It may be overrated, but it's an excellent game. So I'm going to have to go with Twilight Struggle. I don't know. My flesh eaters might have something to say about that. <laughs> All right. So Twilight Struggle is a game that I've played a few times. And I've enjoyed every single time I've played it. So much so that at a certain point I bought it. And then it sat on my shelf for about a year because nobody will play this game with you. It's long and it's hard to teach. And it's... Not the most exciting theme in the world. And the chits are tiny little pieces that don't look very exciting. No matter how good the game is, it's hard to convince somebody to play this if they're not interested in the Cold War. Um, Spectacular game, but 
presentation counts, and that's where Rune Wars, Rune Wars! Uh, comes out of the woodwork. And this is like one of those quintessential Americlash games where there's just stuff everywhere, and it takes up the whole dining room table, and it takes three days to play, and you build your own board, and you forget what you're doing. It's, oh, man, this is a game that I would gladly like to play more often. Uh, it probably gets the table about as much as Twilight Struggle does. Uh, but you're going to have fun with it the first time you play it. Twilight Struggle does not get that endorsement from me. It takes a couple, okay. three plays to get into it. And honestly, I feel like I could, I could get Rune Wars to the table more often if I had a copy of that. So. And it plays four. It does play four, and it scales because you build the board. Mm-hmm. So you could play with two, you could play with three, play with four. I'm going with Rune Wars. Let's go to the dice. It's so what funny I'm... how as soon as you said Rune Wars, Daniel just eagerly went for the die. Yes, <laughs> the Guys, I'm getting to roll so many dice today. <laughs> All right, here we go. Odds goes to Twilight Struggle, even to Rune Wars. It's a three. That's Twilight Struggle. Oh, All right. Oh, Number one seed. Oh. The Bulls remain undefeated. Eeks it out. It's a good game. It's a good game. I can't argue with the fact that it's a good game. All right, so the next up in our uh, matchup here is a newcomer to the Board Game Geek Top 100, but it has surged up the list quickly, and that's Dead of Winter, our number four seed. It is... In the uh, round of 32, after beating out the number 13 Ghost Stories by Die Roll, it was a very close one, and it's going to be going up against number 12, Civilization the Board Game, which beat out number 5, Star Wars X-Wing Miniatures. I could use my focus die and help that out. (laughs) So it's Dead of Winter versus Civilization the Board Game. Let's do it. That one, Civilization, also won by Die Roll. This is two Die Rolls head-to-head. Let's see if it ends in a Die Roll. Dun, dun, dun. I'll start us off. Uh, Dead of Winter. Dead of Winter <laughs> is awesome. It's the best semi-cooperative game out there. It might be one of the it's one of the very few true semi-cooperative games. And it's one of the few that's got a little bit of a traitor mechanic in it, but manages to hide who the traitor is. Right? You can't just go, oh, who's the one person at this table behaving like a lunatic? Oh, they're the traitor. Right. Because everyone's behaving just a little bit funny. Uh, it's also, of all the just way too many zombie games out there, it's the only one that captures the survivalist aspect of the zombie apocalypse kind of thing, right? Uh, so I think it's Dead of Winter by a long line. Honestly, I didn't even enjoy Civilization when we played it. You did not because you broke it. That's not our fault. When you break the game, you don't have as much fun. Civilization, the board game, is a fantastic game, and I'll be I'll be honest, the base game has a couple issues that we kind of found when we played our first time through. I've since picked up both expansions, and they make this game just absolutely fantastic. It's a tough one to teach. It's a tough one to get to the table with everybody, and you need a lot of space. But what Americlash game isn't tough to teach and tough to find space for? Uh, Civilization, the board game, is it really feels like that same feeling you get when you play the video game. Um, Dead of Winter, while... I love the idea of the semi-co-op pulling it off. I just The theme still doesn't really grab me, and it's just not quite there yet. I think it needs a little bit more time uh, on the list before it really jumps up. Civilization, the board game for me. Um, what do you guys think? I have a lot of respect for Civilization, the board game. In this matchup, Dead of Winter is a game changer because there are so many different levels of motivation that you have to try to follow. Um, you have the, the the whole point of the game that everybody's working toward. Then you have your particular character's motivation. And then pretty much every round, you have a different motivation. You, you're working on so many different levels at one time. Very complex. 
So it, it works well as a role playing, works well as a zombie game, as a, a it's a, it's a great Ameritrash game, Americlash game. Since we're talking about Americlash and Ameritrash games, we're often talking about theme and as much as I do love Dead of Winter, I am zombied out, my friends. This is a good game, Dead of Winter, and there's so much to like about it, especially the semi-co-op kind of angle to it. But when I sit down and I want to play a good Ameritrash game and I want to have a good fight and I want to kind of specialize in something, I'm looking to build some sort of civilization. And there are very few games that are better than this game in the bracket. So I'm going to pick Civilization. Okay, so we're back to the die, and this is the first time I didn't want to roll the die because I thought Dead of Winter would be a clear winner, but that's fine. Whatever. <laughs> All right, so here we go. If it's an odd number, Dead of Winter wins. If it's an even number, Civilization wins. Ha! Huh. It's a three. It goes to Dead of Winter. Uh... All right, so Dead of Winter comes out on top in that one by another die roll, and that's three die rolls in a row where the odd one. So we'll see what happens with the next one. Uh, next up on our matchup is number 15, Defenders of the Realm, which beat out in our first round somehow... Number two, War of the Ring. Thank you, Drew. <laughs> I wasn't the only one who voted for Defenders of the Ring. I know, but you don't even know War of the Ring. <laughs> I know. Up against number 10, Kemet, which beat out Battlestar Galactica in our first round. So it's Defenders of the Realm versus Kemet. Two underdogs going at it. Let's see who comes out on top. I told you guys I like Risk, didn't I? You guys didn't uh, know I like Risk. Was that you? That was me. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. Kemet is Risk. But with all sorts of cool miniatures and in a, in a whole other world with special powers. And I love it. Um, so any, any risk type game, but one that takes the basics of risk and puts it on a whole other level. And that's what Kemet does. It's uber risk. No, 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 no. You want a risk game, then you want to play Defenders of the Realm. Think about it. You have these massive armies building up troops from different areas converging on one spot. And they're about to break through the lines, and you just have your troops trying to stand against them. And then you're going to roll dice to see if you're victorious. That is risk, my friend. But not only does Defenders do that really, really well, but it has the pandemic mechanic to it, where the, where the evil is spreading across the, the civilization and the kingdom. And it has some role-playing elements. You get a unique character. And the character plays like an RPG character would play with special abilities. And you're able to go on your own quest and bring in special weapons. And it's an outstanding game. Great production. How could you not love Defenders of the Realm? I love Defenders of the Realm. But so stop it's there. Nothing like Risk. It's nothing <laughs> like Risk because it's a cooperative game, which doesn't even make sense. How could it be like Risk? It's Risk got troops. To... Yeah, but and they're... They're marching. All right. Well, whatever. Risk is a horrible game anyway, so let's skip that. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you here. All right. <laughs> this side of the table knows what's up. Um, I'm going to go with Kemet. Kemet was so much fun. It just had so many different mechanics, and you can build out your side of the army, depending on what tiles you buy and how you upgrade your pyramids. Um, you don't get quite as many troops as Risk, but it definitely feels a lot more like it, except, you know, good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love Kimmet. It's one of the games that's been sitting on my to-buy list for the longest. Uh, and it probably has that title now that um, I got Defenders of the Realm for a Christmas gift. And, you know, one of these things on my Christmas list and not the other. 
Because I gotta say, I like Defenders of the Realm better. Now, I'm a sucker for a good co-op, and Defenders of the Realm was a good co-op, and I'm a sucker for D&D theme, and it's got a D&D theme. Uh, but the biggest thing that makes the decision, because I do love both of these games, is we were all playing together in New Jersey. There was six or seven people at the table, and it got down to one die roll. It is the only time in my gaming career I can recall an entire table of people, including us, who are usually pretty quiet people, standing, screaming, and jumping with joy at a successful die roll. It was the most just amazing feeling I think I've ever had in gaming, at least outside of D&D, right? It's my most favorite moment yep. in all of my board gaming history. Same here. Uh, so I it's got to go to Defenders of the Realm, uh, because that moment... But we lost that game. And it didn't bother me a bit. It was still fun. I had so much fun getting my butt whooped. Okay. That's how good Defenders of the Realm is. And that's is. a good co-op, too. And that is a great co-op. And that means we are going back to the die. There's the right choice, Defenders of the Realm, which is going to be win on an odd number. And the also kind of right choice, actually, Kimmet, which is going to win on an even number. Ooh, it's an even number. It's a two. That goes to Kimmet. Yeah. I had every single choice uh, from the Sorry, Mr. Lanius. We're sorry. Uh, All right. So that's Kemet, number 10 seed, taken away in that one. Uh, next up, we have the other half of one of our episodes, actually. Number 14, Cyclades, which beat out in the first round Mage Knight the board game by another die roll, because apparently we... Split even on everything. Uh, going up against Cosmic Encounter, number 11, which beat out Eldritch Horror in the first round. So it's Cyclades, number 14, versus number 11, Cosmic Encounter. All right, guys, so I think I'm going to have to go with... Uh, no. Um, I'm going to have to go with Not Cyclades, which is Cosmic Encounter, because it's Not Cyclades. <laughs> and you, you heard me do this thing. If you haven't, go back and check out our Kemet versus Cyclades episode. I am trying to save you a rehash of this next week when we get together. You don't want me to do this again. Cosmic Encounter is Not Cyclades, and therefore it is superior to Cyclades. So there you go. I'm, I'm going to jump on the uh, Cosmic Encounter bandwagon. I don't think most of our listeners know just how old the original game, the original Cosmic Encounter is, 1977. Um, and yes, it was prettied up a few years ago and made brand new, spanking new, but it's it's a classic game that just works decade after decade. It's it's one of those cooperative slash competitive games where sometimes you're on everyone else's side and sometimes you're not. Um, alliances shift, and it's just fun. That's a game where you're you're standing up and you're you're anxious to see what the result is because you have a stake in it one way or the other. It's it's very exciting, very engaging. And um it's gonna live for decades more. Yeah, I mean I guess I have to jump on this bag wagon too. Um as much as I want to see a Kemet versus Cyclades rematch, <laughs> but we have that whole episode if you want to go back and listen to it. Uh Cosmic Encounter is one of those experience games where every time I've played it, it's just been a fun experience. Whether one or two people manage to dupe the rest of the table into pulling out the win, or everybody wins, or nobody wins, or who knows what happens. But every single time I've played, I've played it as a different race. It's come down to different mechanics to win the game. Person people don't expect to do anything almost always does something exciting or different. Uh, Cosmic Encounter is just it's infinitely replayable. It's a lot of fun. It really feels like a good sci-fi game. That's the way to go for me. 
Well, I will speak for the dead then, because Cyclades is an outstanding game. The new expansion Titans really brings something new to the table and kind of clears up a lot of the problems that people had with Cyclades to begin with. But Cyclades is a beautiful game, outstanding components. The production is, is fantastic. It has a really great bidding mechanic in order to take action, something that we haven't seen ever done to that level before. Really a great game. Where Cosmic Encounter kind of ekes out the victory here is that it plays so many people. And as Anthony said, you do have those opportunities to bring everybody in. A multitude of races, a multitude of different opportunities to you know make the game unique with the different expansions. It's a great game, and it's Cosmic Encounter. All right, yeah. so Cosmic Encounter takes that one in a landslide. Unless Daniel wants to roll the die just to... He's feeling lucky. No, no. <laughs> don't, don't you want to? But uh, to uh, you know, to give you a consolation, Chris. I know you're a big fan of Cyclades. If it really upsets you, I will play the Titans expansion with you. All right, I will give it a shot. <laughs> I will give it a shot. At least ten minutes. At least ten minutes. I promise. The whole ten minutes. The whole ten minutes. All right. So that is the Americlash regional bracket for the tabletop madness uh next week it's going to be twilight struggle versus dead of winter and kemet versus cosmic encounter so tune in to hear who pulls out in that one um next up in the uh tournament we have card and dice games and a lot of interesting matchups here including one that could easily be its own versus episode so that'll be an interesting one we get to here in just a couple minutes but first up we have the number one rated card game card and or dice game on board game geek android netrunner which beat out BattleCon in our first round, versus number eight, Lord of the Rings, the card game, which beat out Glory to Rome in a very close one. All right, guys, what do you think? Well, both of these are outstanding games. Both of these games are Fantasy Flight. Both of these are living card games. Both of these are typically two-player games, although Lord of the Rings plays as a one-player game. Really hard to make this choice here. They're both Great, great games, but just for the fact that the Lord of the Rings has an outstanding IP behind it and the artwork is phenomenal. I, I don't know if there's been a better artwork for Lord of the Rings in gaming, so I'm going to go with Lord of the Rings, the living card game. Well, I, listen, there's a reason why Android Netrunner is so popular. Suffice it to say, Android Netrunner has a huge following. Uh, there's tournaments and people actually make real money playing that game. So I want a piece of that. Lord of the Rings, the card game, is one of my favorite card games, period. I would be totally happy if it won this entire category. I play it regularly solo. I've bought a lot of extra cards. I've bought expansions. I'm building decks now. It's just a lot of fun. And my son likes looking at that artwork that Chris was talking about. Great game. It's got to be Lord of the Rings in this one. Uh, so I'm going to have to go with Android Netrunner here because I would rather run over nets than Lord over Rings. Uh, but no, I mean, and part of it comes down to theme. Lord of the Rings is a wonderful, great theme, but it's almost too familiar, so familiar as to border on bland to me. Android Netrunner is, it's the cyberpunky, post-scarcity, futuristic awesomeness. So it's going to have to go to Android Netrunner for me, which means we are going to have to go to the die. Okay, they've if never failed me. If it's an odd number, Android Netrunner, our number one seed, will win. If it's an even number, Lord of the Rings, the card game, our eight seed will win. Either way, the listeners win. <laughs> it's an odd oh. number. Number three, so we go to Android Netrunner. Yeah, I've gotten all my choices from yeah. that die. It's a good die, isn't it? Yeah, it's well behaved. It. Bad die. It. Bad, bad die. <laughs> it, I've gotten all but one, I think. 
Damn it. Die. <laughs> die, die. Well, Lord of the Rings is good, guys. They're all original stories. They don't even use the uh, trilogy stuff. That's almost worse. All right, so in the first matchup there, Android Netrunner takes it home. Lord of the Rings, a card game. Alas, it's headed home. Back to the Shire. Uh, that's both Lord of the Rings games out early. I don't think they can win anything as long as Drew's in the pool here. <laughs> it's the spoiler. It's not fair. I don't, I don't vote against them. You I can... vote for the other guy. That's literally voting against them. <laughs> <laughs> Next matchup is our number 13 seed, Imperial Settlers. A hot game from 2014 versus number 12, Citadels. And in the first round, Imperial Settlers beat out Dominion, an old classic, and Citadels beat out Mage Wars. So let's see how these two games fare. You know, I've, I've always loved Citadels from the very beginning. I think if if this were in the gateway category, uh, I would make this one of the finalists. It's a great gateway game, but, you know, we're, we're in the dice the dice card category, and I think Imperial Settlers fits in that niche a lot better uh it gives you a lot of different things to play with a lot of variety um with the with the different races the different approaches to the game different strategies to try i'm fascinated by it and i think it's a stronger game than citadels citadels role selection everything's hidden you pick out the roles, you play the roles, bad things happen, good things happen, you build your citadel, all these different buildings, special abilities, plays well with two, plays well with eight, the expansion comes along with it, it's outstanding, it's a must, it brings everyone in, it's gotta be citadels! It's a gateway game. Imperial settlers, you settle your empire, you select your people, you build your tableau, you get powers combined, and you create something that shall last through the ages for the glory of the empire. It must be imperial settlers. Oh my god. Yeah. It's just a game. Come on. I love Imperial Settlers. This is one of my favorite games of last year. I rank it in my top three from 2014. Um, the solo mode alone has taken it home for me. I've probably played that 30 times now. Um, but the group, you know, the two to four player mode, the actual core game that comes here is fantastic as well. And it's scaling out nicely with these expansions that they've started releasing. Love Imperial Settlers. Love Citadels too, but got to go Imperial Settlers with this one. It's just a shame Citadels is in the, the card game bracket instead of the gateway. All righty. So Imperial Settlers takes that one home. Next up, we have our number two seed, Seven Wonders, which beat out Space Cadets Dice Duel in the first round, going up against Dice Masters, which beat out Star Realms in the first round. All right, guys, what do you think? So has anyone in the world actually gotten to play Dice Masters? <laughs> has anyone gotten the set? Still like, waiting for my Still copy. waiting uh, for them to uh, <laughs> produce the core set. For all right, all right, Dice all right, right. Okay. This uh, was funny six months ago. It's easy to find now. Okay. <laughs> there are five versions of it on the shelves. Uh, but seriously, I'm, I'm going to have to go Seven Wonders. Uh, partially sentimental reasons, right? This was the game that, that brought us together, or at least brought me into the fold with you guys. So it has a special place in my heart for that. Uh, it was one of the first serious hobby board games I played with serious hobby board gamers, uh, and I got to meet some meet some great people. I've never had a bad time playing Seven Wonders, and I've played it uh, numerous times. Uh, so it's just going to have to be Seven Wonders for me. It's it's hard to beat out that that personal significance it has. When you talk about the mechanic of card drafting, there's none better than Seven Wonders. You get to build a civilization. You can trash cards that other people need. You can play against each other with civilizations and military. It's kind of everything that you want in a short, quick game. It plays with a lot of people. 
great diversity, outstanding expansions. It's only growing. The artwork is phenomenal. It's got to be Seven Wonders. So for me, it's Dice Masters, even though these guys are making fun of me. Um, yes, it was hard to find. Yes, the dollar boosters <laughs> are way too addictive and often come with bent cards. But it's it's legitimately a good game if you ignore all the politics and logistical headaches that went along with the launch of this game. Politics. <laughs> <laughs> as much as there are in the board game industry, <laughs> arguments abound, right? Uh, Dice Masters is a good game. It's a shame that it's probably never going to take off like it could have. They kind of shot themselves in the foot on that one. I don't know what they could do now to bring it back. Although apparently the new Dungeons & Dragons Dice Masters is very, very good. Um, so I'd be interested to see that. I have not obviously played it yet it's not out yet but i still like the avengers versus x-men and the uh the core x-men set and it's it's a strong game for me seven wonders is amazing by the way i'm not i have no problem with that but dice masters is a strong game oh crud they're making a DD dice masters i'm gonna have to buy dice masters now they're, this is terrible <laughs> they're making an everything dice masters that um you got to hand it to them to uh, developing quarriers into a game where you can just slap any ip you can grab a hold of and stick it on there. Marvel and DC and D&D and whatever. Um, it's a little bit repetitive. Just buy Quarriers and have fun with it. It's Seven Wonders. It's, it is one of the greatest uh, card drafting games ever invented. And uh, I'll never get tired of it. Alrighty. So, not surprising. Uh, I do like me some Dice Masters. But Seven Wonders is uh, the victor here. The stronger game. And that one will be uh, moving on to the next matchup. Speaking of the next matchup, this is a uh, potential versus feature we talked about a little while ago, and it is kind of popped up through happenstance and math in our uh, bracket here. And that's number three, Race for the Galaxy, which beat out San Juan in our first round. That was an interesting matchup in its own right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Going up against number 11, Roll for the Galaxy, which beat out Summoner Wars in the first round. So we have Race versus Roll. What do you guys think? It's got to be roll. You got to roll for it. So these games are almost identical. The differences here, at least for me, is that when you play roll, you start off with a little bit more of a civilization to begin with. And being able to utilize the dice is so much fun. The components are a higher quality. You're not just playing with a straight deck of cards. It's fun. It's interactive. You can do a lot of things with it. You got to roll, man. Roll for the galaxy. You know, as the lone member of this panel that voted for Summoner Wars, I am not going to just roll over (laughs) Race for the Galaxy. I'm sorry. I've been a fan of Race for the Galaxy for many years, taught it to many people. Um, Love the quickness, the variety, the the complexity, and how everything's all intertwined, blah, blah, blah. You know how good it is. I'm not going to try and convince you. It's Race for the Galaxy. As I sit here twirling the giant die that I have in my hand around lovingly, uh, I have to go for Roll for the Galaxy. <sighs> Dice add so much to a game for me. I know it's silly, but that tactile enjoyment is great. You still get, you know, there's great tableau building, and as Chris pointed out, you get that little bit of initial variation, which sort of tells you, oh, hey, you need to, you should try this way. This way will be good for you. Give it a shot. Uh, and you, it ends up being kind of asymmetric and fun. It's got to be Roll for the Galaxy for me. Alrighty, then you're going to love me, Daniel, because i got to go with Race for the Galaxy. Oh, uh, <laughs> as much as I love Roll for the Galaxy, and I've had a lot of great conversations on Twitter with some of our listeners about Roll for the Galaxy, and some of you have played this game a lot, like way more than I will ever play it. 
I had somebody ask me the other day if the two would compare at 50 plays with each other. And he's like, I'm not quite to 50. I'm at 37. I'm like, how is it even possible after three months? So it's it's a hot game right now, and I think it definitely deserves it. But Race for the Galaxy has all those wonderful expansions if you ignore the bad one. Uh, it's got <laughs> it's got the solo variant, which is fantastic. Um, and it's, uh, it's I guess I've been playing it longer, so I have a lot more fun with it, more fond memories. Uh, it plays a little faster, too. So Race for the Galaxy, it's the classic. It's the... It's the one everybody knows, and I think it's earned that place. I don't think Roll for the Galaxy has quite replaced it yet. Okay, so odd number goes to Race for the Galaxy, our number three seed. Even number goes to Roll for the Galaxy, our number 11 seed. Come on, Ty. You haven't failed me yet. Odd number, Race for the Galaxy. Ty, no! You betrayed your Ken. (laughs) Perfect record so far. Thank you, Doc. All right, so our card and dice games bracket. Our games moving on to the next round are Android Netrunner versus Imperial Settlers. And Seven Wonders versus Race for the Galaxy. Mm. This is an interesting bracket. We have our one, two, and three seeds still alive with the long shot Imperial Settlers at 13. Uh, Next up, our last bracket, and this is Gateway Games. All righty. So in the Gateway Game category, the first matchup is our number one seed, Pandemic, versus number eight, Small World. And in the first round, Pandemic beat out One Night Ultimate Werewolf, whereas Small World beat out King of Tokyo. All right, guys, so Pandemic versus Small World, what do you think? Well, it's a small world, and it only gets better. Multiple expansions, the ability to play a lot of different races. Love it, love it, got to play it. Everyone's a fan of it. Small World. Uh, For me, it's got to be Pandemic. Uh, This is one of my favorite co-op games. Every time I get it out, I remember how much I like it. It's got tons of great expansions, easy to teach. Um, My wife enjoys playing it. My son was even helping the other day, ferrying the cubes around to the different cities. And I was teaching him a little geography, which was awesome, too. So got to be Pandemic. See, for me, I'm going to have to go uh, Small World. Now, my mom actually is in public health, and so I'm like, oh, Pandemic, this is going to be great. I brought it out. We played it. She enjoyed it. But you know what else she enjoyed? Small World, for no reason at all, just because it's a great game. And Small World was actually my gateway game. I watched it on tabletop and went, that looks like fun, bought it, started playing it, and then, you know, a couple years later, I guess, here I am. Under a blanket, recording an episode of the podcast with you guys. <laughs> it is a small world after it all. It is a small world after all. It's a world of slaughter after all. I mean, just not here under the blanket, hopefully. Um, but yeah, we'll so we'll see how world. some of those dice rolls go. You know, if this program were called Mashup Madness, I would love to, to take a crack at small pandemic world. <laughs> I would love it. You could do that. You know, there are all the races are fighting each other while trying to stamp out, you know, possible epidemics. Yeah, we could have fun with this. Small world I love, but pandemic is is a classic. It is as green and evergreen as you'll ever have because of the the varieties, uh, the the expansions, the the different twists that they continue to point on, and each game they come out with is interesting. We need a reinforcement die to help out Small World, so... So, uh, if we get an odd number, our number one seed, Pandemic, wins. If we get an even number, our number eight seed, Small World, wins. Come on, even. It's an odd number. That's a three. Pandemic takes the crown. Well, not really the crown. It's more like... The single game. The single game. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Pandemic wins that first matchup in our gateway game bracket. Next up, number four, Ticket to Ride, which beat out Catan in the first round. Wow. That's the the group of death right there. (laughs) Going up against number 12, and here's an underdog for you, Gravwell, which beat out... 
of all games, Galaxy Trucker in the first round. So I wonder who voted for that one. So guys, what do you think? Ticket to Ride versus Gravwell. I, I've, I've got to uh, go barking for my underdog here. You guys know how much I love Gravwell. It is one of my favorite games, and it's it's one of those games. It does take you know a little bit to learn to play, which might hurt it in the gateway game category. It's an absolutely fantastic game. It's actually my favorite racing game of all time. I've got to go Gravwell. It it's just fantastic. It's a good abstract game, and and good abstract games will create that that exact reaction when they finally catch on to it. But we're also talking about a gateway game, and. And Ticket to Ride, God, I don't like that game all that much. <laughs> so, oh, draw a card. Let's draw two more cards. Keep drawing cards. It's, you know, draw the cards you don't need. That's what it's called. <laughs> um, but still, it's it's so accessible. It's so easy. It's bright and colorful that even little children can play. Um, it, and you don't have that moment where, oh, I finally get it. Because you get it right away. Uh, easy game to, to learn, and even though I like Gravwell a lot as an abstract, I'll, I'll go with Ticket to Ride on this. Um, I'm going to go with Ticket to Ride as well, but I actually like the game, so <laughs> it's a little spin on that one. Is twist. Uh, it's twist. Ticket to Ride for me is uh, it's one of the first games I played coming into the hobby, and while the base game itself can get a little bland over time, there are so many variations and expansions and tweaks to the rules, and you have these beautiful boards and these wonderful components. And while the core mechanic can get a little repetitive, it's so quick and easy to teach and easy for other people to learn. Um, This is a game I've been able to teach to every single person I've wanted to teach it to. And they've all had fun and wanted to play more. And I legitimately still enjoy it. So a ticket to ride for me, definitely. There's so many great things to say about Ticket to Ride. It plays easy. It plays fun. You know, being able to do the set mechanics, being able to build the routes, all the different maps. The maps have all different special, you know, little functions to them. But, you know, I want to play some Gravwell. And just to have the opportunity to play a game that really only requires you to move your one ship is really a true gateway game. And while it does look a little intimidating at first, once you get into it, it plays well with everybody. So I'm going to go with Gravwell. All right, so we're rolling off. On an odd number, our number four seed ticket to ride will win. On an even number, our number 12 seed, our barking underdog, Gravwell, will move on to the next round. Every single one. That is a five? Every single one. I mean a six. (laughs) It's six. We all saw it. It is a five, so Ticket to Ride moves on to the next round because that's, yeah. (laughs) All right. All right, so our number four seed, Ticket to Ride, beats out the underdog, Gravwell. Trains are cooler than spaceships, apparently. Hey, it wasn't even split, man. <laughs> it wasn't even split. I'll take that. <laughs> we got the we got the right. The dice here. decided it. All right. So next up, we have two games that are completely unlike each other in any way. Uh, number two, Splendor, which in the first round beat out number fifteen, Hanabi, versus number seven, Mice and Mystics, which beat out Forbidden Desert. All right, guys, so what do you think? Splendor or Mice and Mystics? I don't know how it beat Forbidden Desert. Forbidden Desert's one of the great gateway games. But Mice and Mystics is a worthy uh, game to, to knock it off because how can you? How can a game fail when it has this lovely little narrative recording to set the mood and get people involved? You know, you, you integrate the recording with the game and, and you have the little cute little miniatures and... It, 
it's a, it's the kind of game that gets all kids. I mean, all yeah. kids of all ages involved uh, and loving. I think it's a fantastic gateway game. The big problem with gateway games is that eventually they get tired and you don't want to play them anymore. And even though you have new gamers coming to the table, you almost groan when you have to play them. That has never happened with Mice and Mystics. There's just something about that game. It's charming. It's deep. It's interesting. It's got the narrative. It's got the miniatures. It's got the fun gameplay. There's just nothing bad about this game. There's a lot of good to Splendor, but eventually it gets a little drab. It gets a little boring. It gets a little tired. So, Mice and Mystics. Echoing here, we're in a little bit of an echo chamber, I guess. Uh, I'm going to go for Mice and Mystics as well. Uh, partially, again, I have this very vivid memory of playing with some friends down uh, down in South Carolina when I was home over the summer, I think. Uh, and we were sat down, and I was like, hey, there's this game I want to show you. And I'm like, all right, let's see how this plays out. And let's play it a little bit. And I put on the audio, and everyone was like, oh, wow. And you, know, you kind of make fun of it for a few seconds until you're totally taken away by it. And that night ended with, the wonderful question of, hey, do you think we could come back tomorrow and play again? And that is the sign of a successful gateway game of, when can we play again? I want to play again. Can we play other games? I'd like to play more games. Right? It just it, it, uh, broke the dam and let the waters pour out Mice and Mystics. Mice and Mystics is one of those games that I always, always want to play. I've played through that first chapter like five times because I've introduced it to so many different people. Um, I've painted the miniatures. I've taught my son to play. This is a game my wife actually bought me, so she's played with me multiple times as well. It's one of the first board games I ever owned, and it was not even the... That's not the kind of game you buy when you're getting into the hobby, but it was perfect because it showed me, obviously, I'm a miniatures guy, and this is the game that got me there. So it's a perfect introduction to that kind of game. Um, And they're releasing new stuff every year, so you can't even get worried about, like, catching up or running out of chapters you know, with the two expansions out now, they're up to 30-some-odd chapters you can play through, which is going to take you forever. It's a fantastic game. I'm super excited to see what they come up with next. I think it's Birds. It's, yeah, it's got to beat out Splendor. Mice and Mystics in a landslide. Birds and Mystics? It's called <laughs> Tail Feathers. Oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Birds and Barbarians. Alrighty, so Mice and Mystics beats out Splendor, and we got one more matchup here in this bracket, and that's going to be number 14, Takedo, which beat out The Resistance in round one, versus Dixit, number 11, which beat out Love Letter in round one by the die roll. Going to get a lot of angry letters about that one. It was by the die roll. You can address your angry letters to the die at boardgamersanonymous.com. <laughs> it will not answer. <laughs> We're going to get hate letter. <laughs> For love from Drew, yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, what do you guys think, Takedo or Dixit? Wow, this is really hard. Both games offer beautiful visions, nice gameplay, gateway gameplay. Plays with a number of people. Everyone's welcome. This is not a, an Ameritrash kind of game where you're fighting each other. It's not a Euro game where there's heavy mechanics and AP. It's just a fun journey with your friends, whether it's Dixit or Takedo. Wow, this is going to be a hard one. Uh, I'm going to have to say Dixit. Just because while both of them have beautifully refined mechanics and artwork, Dixit, even though the expansions are just more and more cards, I still want to pick them up because everyone keeps coming back to this game time and time again. 
See, Chris, I, I just, I'm surprised to hear that because for me, I thought the choice was obvious, and I think the obvious choice is Takedo here, right? I like Dixit. I love Takedo. Takedo's been sitting on my to-buy list for a very long time. Uh, I've never had a bad game of Takedo. Even losing, it's fun. It's just sort of pleasant. Did you have a good trip? Yeah, I did. I mean, that guy did some other stuff, but I had a good time too. Dixit, on the other hand, it, one hand, it's kind of a little party game-ish. So it's almost a little too shallow for my like as liking as a gateway game. I don't know if you're going to be able to pull people away from just party games with Dixit, right? You're not going to be able to bring them into the hobby. It also involves a lot of sort of mind reading kind of things, right? How well do you know the people you are with, right? Whether or not it's going to be a, a, a gateway game is going to depend. Are you playing with someone who's fluent in Shakespearean literature and they're going to start throwing out things like out, out, brief candle? Because if they are... That's awesome. That's awesome. But it's not a gateway game anymore. You better get ready. Uh, you better study up. Uh, but in just overall, I think Takedo is a better game. Dixit is fun. Takedo is a good game. If you're hanging out with friends and it's the end of a, of a vigorous gaming session and you want something relaxing, something to put your friends to sleep, Takedo is the perfect game. It's just, it's so relaxing. Um, but I don't think it's a gateway game. Dixit has two qualities which really do turn party gamers into tabletop gamers one it's played on a table and you you can't really really so is beer pong it's not a parlor (laughs) game you're sitting around a table face to face and you're interacting you're engaging um and also you have a scoring track that don't underestimate that that's it gets people used to the fact of this is exciting look we're racing down you know we're scoring and we're going to win and and they they have some unique features about the scoring to engage people in that. I mean, it's not a big, it's not going to open up all sorts of doors to them. They're not going to try Twilight Struggle after Dixit, but it gets them to the table, lets them have fun, and lets them know that they can have fun at the table. All right, Daniel, I'm on your side of the table on this one. I love Dixit. I've always had fun with it. It's a great game in a lot of ways. You can play with complete strangers because it has that mechanic where it doesn't matter if you're in sync with somebody because that could mess up your whole game. But Takeda was just so relaxing. It's so beautiful first off the artwork is beautiful the game board is beautiful everything about it is just so serene and fun to look at but it's also so easy to teach and it's just fun to explore you know i'm with you chris i think both of these games could easily pull this out but i'm going to lean towards Takedo and let's let the diary decide you, for you us. need a new die now because you've worn the corners off by <laughs> <laughs> so uh Love an you. odd number our 14 seed Takedo will win on an even number our 11 seed dixit will win that's a three. That is an odd number. So Takedo wins the day. I have what? lost every die roll. My every die roll. Really? What a journey oh it was. I went all but that Could last you one. Picture that. I'm going to show oh, you a picture, all right? <laughs> Try to figure out what I'm feeling here. Now, both games are outstanding. It's, it's, it's a win-win situation. Absolutely. So that's going to... Close us out in terms of our round of 32. And for our gateway games, next week we're going to have number one, Pandemic, versus number four, Ticket to Ride. And number seven, Mice and Mystics, against number 14, Takedo. It looks to me that, what, 10 out of our 16 were down to the die. uh, And then a couple of them were (laughs) unanimous. So we're either exactly tied or all on one side. I guess there were a few speakers for the dead. But uh, it's an interesting breakdown. I'd like to uh, see how this moves forward in the coming weeks. Yeah, so be sure to join us on, on BoardGamersAnonymous.com so you can tell us what you think about how this bracket went, 
who your favorites were, and especially who you want to win, especially for that Fab Four. You can listen. Try to persuade us. You might be able to. Absolutely. Yep. So next week we're going to be doing the round of 16 and the round of 8 both together just to whittle it down to our Fab Four. And then uh, we're going to send it to you guys after that for the vote. So stay tuned. Um, We're going to have all this up on the website. You can see all the brackets as they break down. You can see the votes where the dice were rolled and um, which games are going to be going up against each other next week. Final round. Hey, for our final round this week, uh, the Spring Equinox is coming up Friday, March 20th. So anything related to the spring, to the planting, the rebirth, uh, for me, it's Zolkin, the Mayan calendar, because every, every spring, uh, Equinox is a huge festival down at Chichen Itza in Mexico around that big Mayan temple that was there, trying to remember the glory days. And I think Zolkin the Mayan calendar uh, recaptures that, the, the rebirth, the start of a year. All right, for me, it's got to be garden dice. Uh, this is a quintessential spring game. You're rolling dice, you're building a garden, you're harvesting your garden, trying to get extra points. Um, lots of fun, great expansion that comes with it as well, and it's easy to teach to new players. Now, think about planting, but think about planting where your hand is strapped around your throat because if you don't plant enough and you don't plant it right, It's not going to work out for your family come the winter. So if you're thinking about spring, get out and plant because it's a curricula or else. I think you're talking about plants versus zombies. (laughs) Board games, man. Board games. Uh, you know, I'm going to go with Arboretum, which is a game that Z-Man Games has just put out. It's this uh, very charismatic game where you plant an Arboretum, right? You're planting trees, and, you know, there's really just nothing better than taking a nice spring day walk through the Arboretum. Uh, it's a beautiful game. It looks great. Make sure to take a look at it. Z-Man Games, right. Arboretum. And that is our funnel round. So that's everything for this week. Be sure to check us out on Facebook. Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on Board Game Geek, and check out our Patreon account. Anything that you can do would help us a great deal and maybe move along your team in the bracket. So this is Chris. This is Anthony. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. And until next time, we'll always save you the number one seed at the bracket at our table. 